0: Hey, this Rum of the Mist podcast is brought to you proudly by the Nurses
1: Guild. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's laboratory. ha 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 ha.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Christopher Stolle back for another Breaking the Fourth Wall. And, guys, I'm excited for sitting here and talking to this gentleman right now. He is one of only a handful of people who have ever made it very personally clear that I will never go camping in the woods where there's a lake nearby. Ladies and gentlemen, he has been all over the map. But one thing we all know him for is wearing a hockey mask and scaring the shit out of anybody doing uh, drugs, drinking, or having premarital sex. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Voorhees himself, CJ Graham. CJ, how you doing today?
2: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on Breaking the Fourth Wall.
0: Thank you for coming on. I'm 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 flabbergasted. I mean, uh, you know, going back to the days, and we're gonna we're gonna go into everything else you've done too, but going back into the days of watching the Friday the thirteenth franchise and how much I, I started young. I was like 10, 11 years old when I first started watching the franchise. And You scared the shit out of me. (laughs) And ironically enough, one of the other Jasons I met at a haunted hayride uh, when I was in my early 20s. And he was like the nicest guy on the planet. And even before we started recording here, you're proving to me. What is it? Is is Jason just a friendly dude?
2: Hey, it's an alter ego. We all have one. When you put a mask on, you're changing character. Trust me.
0: (laughs) all right well the the, the biggest thing we got to start off with we got to start like every cheesy interview we got to start how did it begin for you obviously uh you were telling me you served in the army and then after you uh, were honorably discharged you just decided you wanted to do acting like what what brought you to going into the hollywood area
2: you know i, I chris it was luck uh you know sometimes there's talent and a combination of luck and talent i had both uh you know, after i got in the military uh i went to lake tahoe started dealing cards went to reno dealt at circuit circus dealing 21. Uh, and then i decided to head to la i was looking at some opportunities down there and it just happened that i was running a, a nightclub in glendale and it just also happens that i was having a hypnotist on thursday nights that brought in a production company that production company. Just happened to bring in a company called Real Effects to shoot, and that was the company that did part four with Ted White, and okay. they thought it would be, they thought it would be kind of humorous to have Jason come through the screen. And guess what? That was me. They put in the wardrobe.
0: Oh, nice. Now, how did you how did you land the Jason role? I mean, uh, previously before you, if I remember correctly, like obviously Jason was not in the first movie except for as a flashback of a little kid. Um. So he was part two, three, and four. He was played, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was just a a stunt coordinator. And then in the fifth movie, I could be wrong about this, but in the fifth movie, I think it was just another stunt coordinator or the uh, guy who was the red herring character in the film as the copycat. So you technically was like the first replacement of the original Jason. If, if right. my memory serves correctly, how did you wind up into that role?
2: Right. Well, once they saw me come through the screen on the Hypnotist show, uh, the real effects company said, you know what? We got to cast you for Jason because you got that statue on stage. six three, two fifty. I mean, I'm pretty solid even today. Uh, and I laughed and giggled and thought, yeah, whatever. However, a couple months later, I got a call from uh, Tom McLaughlin, the writer director. And I went down and met with him. I went and met with the stunt coordinator and I went over and met with Frank Mancuso Jr. at Paramount Studios. Um, But to be fair, um, I didn't get the part, which I wasn't heartbroken because I was honored to be invited to Paramount Studios to meet Frank Mancuso.
0: Uh,
2: However, unfortunately or unfortunately, the person that got the part was a full-blown stuntman. The one scene that remains is the paintball scene where the paintballs hit the midsection. And unfortunately, that was the first scene they shot. Um, there's a lot of special effects involved in that. Unfortunately, when it came back, I, I my understanding is they just didn't see what they were looking for from the statue, the characteristic. So unfortunately that person was let go and they brought me back on a Friday and by Monday or Tuesday I was down in Covington, Georgia shooting. So that one scene does remain. A lot of people just assume I'm a little thicker in the midsection. I'm wearing yeah. pads. one would assume because of the paintballs, uh, they would hurt, I would assume. Uh, unfortunately, that person had a different characteristic than I did. And it, it worked out well for me. Um, that person also has went on to be a producer, a director, a stunt coordinator, and had a great career. So I don't think there's any hard feelings. But that was my opportunity to shine. And uh, everything in that film, stunt-wise, is me. You know, there's no doubles. There's no anything. Uh, the interesting thing, Chris, and for the fans out there, is I'd never done a stunt in my life. I'd never done acting in my life. That was the first time I'd done all of it. So when you see me being set on fire, going through doors, going through walls, 20 feet underwater, breathing off regulators in an Olympic-sized uh, diving pool, that's me. Uh, first that's time for. So they really cracked my cherry when it came to being a stuntman.
0: Well, I, I've got to ask, and I mean, coming from an a independent professional wrestling background myself, you know, which, which, you know, call professional wrestling what you want. We're basically stuntmen in the ring, just live action stuntmen. Um, I, I, definitely get the horrors of it. I mean, w- without having previous background and stunt work, I'll ask that first. Um, was it kind of unnerving for you? Jo- I mean, you're kind of, for lack of a better term, forgive the pun here, but you're kind of jumping in feet first.
2: Yeah. But you know, I'd only been on the military a few years. I had a little bit of a, a bad attitude, BA. Uh, so I thought I was pretty badass. Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't have any remorse or thinking about it, it was a job, right? And, you know, go out and do the job. And to me, I took the job knowing full full well that there'd be some additional responsibilities. I never felt threatened, though. Um, Michael Nomad was a stunt coordinator. And everything that I was going to do, he talked to me through verbally, so I could physically understand the impact that I was going to feel. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I really felt secure with myself, my physical capability. Um, and I was fortunate. Um, I think we did well. Excellent.
0: And now the other question that I, and and I promise, uh, this will be probably the second to last question I'll, I'll ask, uh, as far as Jason, we'll move on to other things that you've done. But, uh, like you said, you, you weren't originally picked for the role. And then when you, uh, were picked, you kind of like within two days, you're, you're playing the character, you know, live recording. What mindset did you get into to to create the role? Uh, in other words, like uh, I'll explain what I mean. In the first previous films, Jason the character was still more humanistic, if you will, for lack of a better term. He was still a lot living guy until he took like the axe to the head and all. So his movements, his mannerisms were still very grounded in reality. Uh, I would I would say it's fair to say that your Jason was the first supernatural jason what kind of mindset and what kind of mannerisms did you bring to that role that not only uh lived in jason lives but carried the character into the subsequent films after
2: i think you know uh i hadn't been out of the military very long and i think you know being infantry and having a little bit of a ba i think i just brought it to the screen when you're marching 30 inches all around you put your feet down you plant them when you're marching it's not a Tiptoe through the tulips, you're taking course. And I did that. You know, I would look through the hockey mask, the one eye that I could see. I made sure that everything was deliberate. All my movement was deliberate. And Tom McLaughlin was great as a director, brilliant as a director for a novice as myself. Um, he told me, hey, when you move your head just a little bit, you don't have to move it a lot. You just have to move it a quarter inch because the screen will pick it all up. Mm-hmm. So all the head movements and the body movements. Tom would say, just move fast, move hard, move left. Don't move more than six inches when you turn your shoulders. That was enough to give the characteristic through the camera lens, what the fans were looking for. Um, as far as just how I did it, I, you know, when you put a hockey mask on, and it, it is interesting, your alter ego comes out, and all of a sudden you're no longer CJ or Chris, um, you become a B.A., And knowing that you're supposed to deliver that type of attitude on screen makes it a little easier. Uh, Because even though you're human, don't forget Jason came back in part six like Frankenstein, electricity. So Mm -hmm. now he's not stoppable, just like Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, if you remember coming back to life, the connectivity of the brain was starting to work a little bit. So he was starting to look at things more curious, like the little girl. Right. There was more of a curiosity factor. Still had a mission, but small kids were more of a curious factor than the camp counselors around that were getting whacked.
0: Nice. Overall, I've got to ask this one. And like I said, this will be the last Jason question. How much has the role changed your life?
2: It, it has impacted in a very positive way. I had no idea three decades later, Chris, that you and us will be talking about, hey, Friday the 13th. Um, I'm appreciative. I'm very humbled, you know, to be one of nine people that nine people that have actually played the part for credit purposes and to, you know, go out there. There's a lot of fans that are just huge fans. You know, I noticed uh, that you're wearing a Navy hat. I'll tell you a little story. I got a young lady came up to me uh, again. I'm 63. So to me, anything is young. Right. And what an autographed photo. And I said, OK, great. Who do you want to make it out to? And what are you going to do with it? And she goes, I'm gonna put it behind my desk at work. I go, what do you do? She goes, I'm a colonel, United States Air Force. Nice. Okay. So here you are coming in, a sergeant, an airman, whatever. And your colonel's sitting there, you know, and there's a a Jason photo behind them signed by CJ Graham. Now that's original, that's classic. But my point is the connectivity of so many different realms of people that the horror industry brings together that you wouldn't anticipate. Bankers, you know, I mean, going to make a copy, a photocopy, and all of a sudden somebody starts talking about a horror movie. Oh, I love Jason. I love Freddy Krueger. I mean, it's kind of a connectivity you wouldn't expect. And when you do the conventions, you see all this connectivity, of all these different folks that uh, dress up, they become alter ego, they really get into it. And the fan base is just huge when it comes to jason so i'm very humbly appreciative of the fans because we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for the fans
0: although there's an alternate ego to, uh, egotist to it that, that that just popped in my head almost made me laugh on into the microphone i was just thinking like you going out for halloween dresses jason forhees and people being critical and being like oh, that's not jason look at how fake that looks like they wouldn't even know <laughs> well
2: I, I will tell you that you know i retired three years ago from running casino resorts right and it's the opportunity to go out and do some conventions i did one uh before the before the uh coronavirus hit with uh alice cooper and some others tom matthews and we've actually assembled an entire wardrobe of part six and i will tell you it's 95 percent accurate nice and the reason i'm it's 95 percent of the accurate because everything joe jason was wearing back in the 80s was all vietnam era well i was in the military in the early 70s right so That fatigue O.D. green shirt, and those khaki pants, that pistol belt, those combat boots, and that 18-inch machete, they're all Vietnam-era materials. So we put it together with the photos that I had from the set, and I had four or five people assist me with special effects to make sure that all seven of the spear marks were in the right location. All the texture of the wardrobe was there. And I even had a special effect artist in Canada make my hood and a different special effect person in America make my mask from my original mask that I have. Everything is spot on. The reason I say 95%, Chris, because it wasn't screen used. But I'll tell you right now, if if a fan right now goes online and takes a look at some of the photos of the wardrobes, uh, they're going to look at it and go, it's exactly the same. And he's the same size as he was in 1986. They don't see the gray. Right. All they see is a structure, shoulders, 36 waist, you know, still a size 12 boot and just standing there with that demeanor of, okay, you want to go through me just like you as a wrestler. Okay. Impress me.
0: (laughs) Well, and uh, like you were saying, uh, I have my DD two fourteen as well. Uh, Yeah. I don't just wear the hat because I'm a fan of the football team, you know, uh, (laughs) honorably discharged medical condition, but, uh, you're right. There is a badass ring. And it's funny, you mentioned the uh, the pro wrestling. When I was a wrestler, I played two gimmicks at one time at one point. Uh, a, a gimmick where I was uncovered, where you could see my face, my normal hair. You know, I played a character called Matt Wilde. On the same show, I would do another character that wore kabuki face paint. I would instantly spray my hair black and comb it a different way. Had to carry myself in the ring mannerism-wise, completely different. He was called the 13th Apostle. And, uh, it was funny how, like, like you said, when you put on that, that, that costume, that uniform, if you will, not only does your mentality change, but you literally fool people's eyes. I could be on the same show, be one match removed from the match. I just did uncovered. And nobody would know that the apostle was the same guy as the guy you saw two matches beforehand, you know, and it it was just funny how that uh, optical illusion could work. To me. It,
2: can't, it can work in your favor, as you know, because your mannerism is different. It's interesting, though. You know, back in the 80s, the 90s, all actors and actresses, nobody wanted to wear a mask. Hey, I want them to see my face. I've got to be seen on the screen. I didn't care. You want to put me in a hockey mask? Great. You want to make me hell cop in Highway to Hell with prosthetics all over my face? Okay. The interesting thing, and you know, it's hindsight. Who knew three decades later, all the very, very, very popular films out right now? I don't care if it's Arrow or Batman, they're all wearing masks.
1: You served your country with honor and now are trying to pry health care from the Veterans Administration. Did you know that Congress recently made changes to allow vets to get care outside of the VA services? The Nurses Guild of Florida is owned and operated by a Vietnam-era vet who knows how difficult it is to return to civilian life. Why not get your home health services from a five-star Medicare home health agency, The Experts at Home Care the Nurses Guild. Rather than wait in lines for care, the Nurses Guild will provide care to you in the comfort of your own home. PTSD, IV therapy, wound care, or post-amputation therapy, no matter your diagnosis, we can help. A nurse will be assigned to you, visit you at home to assess your needs, and work directly with you to develop a personalized plan of care. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty. So no matter your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. The nurses, therapists, and home health team of the Nurses Guild is ready to serve you. All of our essential health care workers are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, healthcare put off is healthcare too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible.
2: Now, yeah, you know, um, it really has become popular to wear a mask and have an alter ego. And when you go to the conventions, you see some of these folks fixed up as Jason, Michael Myers, It, uh, anime. Uh, some of them are dressed up as Star Wars. It's really, they go into character in totality. They do not They do not just look at you. I've had people come up in full wardrobes, Jason, not say a word, just stand there.
0: <laughs> you think you think they're looking for your approval? Like, you got it, you they can do, play the next and one.
2: I, I give it to them, but until that mask comes up, they don't say a word. They're in full character. And it's not just an honor to be sitting there and be proud of your children so to speak but it's really humbling to know three decades later how popular Jason and Friday the 13th has become among all ranks among all people
0: Uh, absolutely now here's the thing here's the thing this is a good transition because I promise no more Jason here but it's a good transition how weird was it moving beyond uh Jason Voorhees for people to realize that they're, like, you know, at a casino and the, the pit boss or the dealer or the, the manager might wind up and kill them with a machete or some of the other things that we were talking about, which we'll jump into discussion. Like, how, how often did Jason kind of cross over into those professions
2: as well? Well, I mean, you know, I'm still 6'3", 250, so, you know, I wear a size 50 jacket when I'm walking around in a suit and tie. I wasn't the smallest guy in the pit or walking around the property. Um, I think the nice thing is about it, though, a lot of people, my employees, a lot of players, I was shocked, you know, half a million, million dollar credit line players want to get an autograph for their kid or their (laughs) friend who's a huge Jason fan. And you're just kind of going, okay. Um, Again, humbling at the same time. It always was a twist. Uh, about 15 years ago, I got the creative management award at Caesars entertainment, uh, out of 50,000 employees. Um, it was an honor, not just to have the creative management award when I was the casino manager at the Flamingo, but to be selected. And when they found out that I had played Jason, it just added icing to the cake. <laughs> that this guy is extremely creative, a great leader. We're going to give him an award. And did you know he played Jason? They're like, aren't you kidding me? So there's always that little double-edged sword when people find out I played Jason.
0: Nice. How often uh, did you run into something? My mother worked at a casino uh, in Colorado for a couple of years and she was ex-military. And I mean, even, even as a table uh, deal, she wasn't, she was a security, but even as a table dealer, I know some people sometimes you get those rowdy customers. They had too much to drink, whatever. And even if security's not available, you kind of have to assert. How often have you run into a situation like that and that burly drunk person turns around, looks at you and says, oh, yes, sir. Not just because of size, but also because of the fact they knew who you were. <laughs>
2: well, most of the time they did not because people always want to challenge the big guy in the room. That's just a natural uh, progressive. However, you know, I always told everybody that worked for me, even when I was just a pit manager and or a casino manager. Uh, All my team, always remember you're being recorded 24-7. We cannot hear your voice, but we can see your facial expressions. So even though you think you're not showing anger, you may be. So make sure your expressions are, but I always try to defuse a situation. The most important thing when you have a drunk and disorderly person on a table game is to ask them to step away from the game so you can get them out of their environment. You never want to tell a person no in front of their friends especially right. if they're a boss and they brought all their employees and they're trying to be a big shot and you're telling them, no, that's not, that's conflict just getting bigger. So if you can step them away and really downsize it, and I mean that I'm a big guy and I say, look, I, I don't want this to be personal. It's not you and me. This is just the policy of the house. And I, I just got to tell you, you got to work with me. You can't put me on the spot. It's not fair. And if you were in my position, you'd be doing the same thing. Most of the time they start thinking about it because they're a little more intelligent than that. But every once in a while you get some, and you know what, I never had to deal with it too often, but I, you know, being the general manager of a nightclub in Los Angeles, and all of a sudden the head of security would say, well, somebody wants to see the the manager. Okay. And then I come walking up and I'm usually big or bigger than the security. That <laughs> that really used to freak people out because they're expecting just a normal sized person to walk up so they could argue. But when I walk up, it's like, okay, great. Um, you really just have to diffuse as much as possible. Um, in casinos, there are thousands of cameras, period. And I mean thousands of cameras. Right. So whatever you think you're to get away, get away with, you're not, you may momentarily, but as soon as we find out the general location and vicinity, we'll zero in on you.
0: Absolutely. Now, of course I got to ask this one thing, uh, you know, again, with, uh, with, with, with going into, uh, your, your other careers beyond, beyond uh, Christ, Camp Crystal Lake. Um, you mentioned earlier, you are 63 years old now. Right. You do not look it in any way. I would have guessed at maximum 50. You are in hella great shape. What do you do to keep yourself looking the way you do? Because, I mean, I'm 43, and I feel like I look older than you.
2: Well, two things. Number one, I'm living on residuals because I haven't been to the gym since February. Uh, But I've always, when I went in the military, I was 17 and this thick. And, uh, you know, gung-ho, all this other stuff. Um, And I just started lifting during that time. And through my duration, even up until February this past year, I was still going to the gym three times a week. Uh, Historically, until about five years ago, I used to go six days a week. And I'd only work out for 45 minutes. So right now I'm living off residuals. I mean, I have not been to the gym and I, I may look good, but to me, uh, I'm not what I was eight months ago, right. um, but I've always maintained reasonably, uh, I'm not a real big junk food eater. I'm really meat and potatoes, quite honestly, okay. if you get a steak and baked potato and butter and a glass of milk, I'm a happy camper.
0: <laughs> I'll know that if you ever come to Philly and we go to dinner.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm a happy camper. You know, uh, you know, people laugh. I go to I go to Wendy's. I love Wendy's. I get two single burgers, plain, with nothing on them, without cheese, without anything, just the meat and the bun, and a small Pepsi and a small fry. And I'm a happy camper.
0: That works. not but even not even a frosty to dip the fries in.
2: Nah, but I <laughs> think about it. I'm very simple. I don't put a lot of stuff. There's not this, that, and the other thing. So I do try to, you know, I don't really pay attention. But I don't eat really crazy things. You know, last night, don't laugh, I got up around 2 o'clock in the morning, went down to the, the, the kitchen and had a hostess cupcake and a glass of milk.
0: There's nothing wrong with that.
2: I was hungry. I'll tell,
0: you, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but, I mean, I used to be more of a junk food uh, junkie, I'd say, 10, 20 years ago, especially when I was in, in the, the height of my wrestling career. I was constantly eating the calories and the carbs and everything else. um, And I would remain rail thin ever since I retired. I I've, I've given up on junk food. I'd rather have a salad than a bag of chips. If that, if that makes any sense, but I'm packing on the poundage. (laughs) I don't get it.
2: Some things like when I was running casino resorts, everything was physical. I was walking. I spent probably 40% of my time on the casino floor, Connecting with my players and especially my employees, my team members. Uh, I was never a, an ivory tower executive sitting up in the tower. I was down talking to the dishwashers while they were working, or out front talking to valet people, or behind the desk of the hotel trying to engage with my team. So I was always physically walking around and then still going to the gym. Um, I really don't know if there's a real answer. I've always lived reasonably strict, uh, but Junk food, I, I, you know, I get a candy bar, mountain bar now and then, you know, a mountains bar, but I never really big, maybe some chips now and then, but, and it's not right, wrong or indifferent. A lot of people are are right now, especially packing on the pounds because everybody's working through IT, information technology with computers Mm -hmm. and platforms like we're speaking on, and they're not getting outside as much as they used to. In some cases, people that didn't get outside are now getting outside, so it's kind of like some people are going down, some people are going up. So we're still right where we were eight, eight, nine months ago.
0: <laughs> Just everybody switching, uh, switching roles. <laughs> now speaking of roles and being fit, you mentioned something that threw me for a loop, and I know my wife will will absolutely love this. And you had a message for my wife, by the way, so we can we could transition to that as well. You were a Chip and Dale's dancer. <laughs>
2: Yeah, back in the uh, 87, 88, I I actually started as a general manager of Chippendales in Culver City. I worked for Steve uh, uh, Banerjee at the time. And uh, the gentleman that uh, took care of all the uh, stunt, not the stunt, but the choreography for the uh, dancers, there started with me and uh, another guy. He said, I'm gonna put CJ out there, again, uh, same size and all the qualities. And myself and a friend of mine, well, now a friend, Darren McBee, uh, did a fight scene where we fought over one girl. Uh, and then there were some other scenes that we had done, you know, did the construction one. Um, it was fun. I mean, I was there for about a year. Uh, I still have, you know, a lot of fond memories. I went on the road, went up to San Francisco and did a show with the crew. Then we went up to Edmonton, Canada and did a show. So I was fortunate working for the actual, you know, Culver city Chippendales way back in the late eighties
0: what even made you want to jump into that? Like, I mean, like, I understand, I understand you got in and, and all the things you did, but I mean, was it one of those conscious decisions or was it just kind of one of those happenstance like somebody mentions it and it's like, yeah, okay, I got nothing else better to do. Like, what what led you to the Chippendales?
2: Well, it's the same thing that led me to the Friday the 13th. As I said, I first took over as the general manager of the nightclub okay. uh, for Steve Banerjee. And the choreographer you know um hey well i need a fight scene with two guys of equal size and darren can do it cj can you do it i said sure you know so uh in fact in my office you know uh, in the other room i still have my cuffs and collars and my spandex pants and an 8 by 10 glossy of me on the wall for my memories as my wife does because she was a budweiser girl back in those days so she still got oh. her one budweiser bikini and a a little uh, photo of her and four girls as Budweiser girls on the wall. Nice. <laughs> Memories when we were young, Chris. Memories when we were young.
0: Oh, I I hate looking at old videos of me and wrestling or music. You see that? Yep. Yeah. I I hate looking at those pictures because of like how skinny and how young I look. I'm like,
2: oh man. You know, Why can't the I still look like that. Unfortunate though, I, I I get to keep all my hair and stuff. So I mean, you know. Um, I'm fortunate, you know, bald is cool, I know, but I just like my hair, so, you know, I still have the short hair and stuff. Uh, when I retired about three, three and a half years ago, um, I probably had 15 suits, and I gave all of my suits, most of my shirts, ties, et cetera, to Goodwill. I kept a black suit for funerals, and I kept my navy blue suit for weddings. Otherwise, they're all gone now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it's t-shirt and jeans huh yeah look at this yeah i like that
2: and i, I forgot to my pants in the interview because i know you're only doing the top
0: <laughs> that's all right i never wear pants in the interviews either um <laughs> but uh all right well uh, while we're while we're here you you had a message for my wife might as well get that out of the way before we move on
2: yes i wanted to tell your lovely bride congratulations on seven years of being married to chris uh, I know Phil's like 14, but hanging in there with him; is a good guy. So, congratulations on October 12th as being your anniversary date.
0: And just remember, if you ever want to kill me, just call him up; he's got the machete for it.
2: <laughs> well, by the way, you know, tell your lovely bride that if the uh, life insurance is paid up, give me a call, and she and her girlfriends can be in Maui next week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Just, just I want to be the guy in the uh, in the, uh, the the sleeping bag. Exactly, <laughs> it's always been one of my favorite Jason Kills of all time. Um, well, speaking of things for looking forward to the future, uh, what's next in store for C.J. Graham?
2: Well, I, you know, I did a film, a fan film, about a year ago, Vengeance. I played Elias Voorhees opposite of Jason Brooks, who played Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the time Elias Voorhees had been seen on a screen. He was in the books. And some of the storyboards that Tom McLaughlin had put together back uh, in 1985-86. And then earlier this year, before everything shut down, I did a film called 13 Fanboy. Uh, Dee Wallace uh, has the lead in it. Corey Feldman, uh, Kane Hodder, Laura Park Lincoln, among others, are in this film. Um, It is done, edited. I'm sure it's ready to go. Dipper Voorhees film uh, with Joel. I'm thinking they're probably just waiting for the right time to put it out. Everything is kind of on hold. Uh, Vengeance has been very successful. They've asked about Entertain doing another one in 2021, which would be Vengeance Bloodline. They want to really focus on Elias Voorhees a little more. Okay. Um, entertain that opportunity when time comes and see what the script looks like. Um, you know what? Next week, uh, I'll be in Las Vegas doing a convention, Days of the Dead, signing autographs for the fans. Nice. Uh, at the end of the month, I'll be in Indianapolis. October, Halloween, Halloween. Uh, Days of the Dead, again, doing a special event they're having there for Halloween. You know, some areas are really working diligently with uh, CDC rules. We're wearing masks, sanitizers, they're checking temperatures at the front door. There's really no personal hand-on contact. Keeping the six-foot, you know. Um, I think it's interesting because I walk around, you know, being silly with a fishing pole. And I keep distance between me and the <laughs> By the way, for those of you that think about it, so if you just want to take your fishing pool with you, you can push it out there and keep people six feet from you. Mate. But you know, unfortunately, there's been uh, uh, a few hundred thousand deaths, a couple hundred thousand, I believe in, uh, in America. And right. it's very, but you know what, it is what it is, and is. We're going to have to really uh, buckle down and just do what we have to do to get through this. And maybe in 2021, things will start to get normal, but they'll never be the same period. So it is a new change, a new course absolutely
0: well i want to thank you very much for coming on the show and before we give the closing statements i want you to just let everybody know where they can contact you or get a hold of you either for uh for like bookings or or maybe performances or just simply they have questions that i didn't
2: ask you know it's real simple jason6.com and that's my personal website and there's you can buy different eight by tens autographed and also there's a contact sheet on the last Uh, for different performances or appearances. Uh, Some of the real popular ones out there right now, Chris, are going to comic book stores for a day of signing. And i found that to be very entertaining. And, you know, two, 300 people showing up at a comic book store just to get an autograph. Uh, Linda Blair, Kane Hodder, Tony Todd, we've all done it. And they seem to be really catching on, especially right now, but just as a more personalized opportunity than just a huge, big convention. But... Well, hopefully next year, the conventions will come back online. Monster Mania is lined up. Texas Frightmare, uh, Crypticon, uh, Spooky Empire, and hopefully we'll see the Alabama Comic-Con, etc. as we start to normalize again.
0: Well, Remind me, I, I have a friend who owns a comic book store. In fact, its uh, he's owned it for 34 years now in Feasterville, Pennsylvania. You ever come around this way? I'll introduce you guys. Maybe you guys could set one up. I'm sure he'd love it. Yeah, it's <laughs>
2: very it's very interesting you know i've done a couple of minutes you know it, it's interesting you fly in on friday saturday you do all the signing and autographing in the store and so far nothing but happy campers everybody lived
0: everybody well that's not a successful day at the comic book shop if jason lets them walk out it depends, on,
2: <laughs> depends on how much insurance you have on the comic book you know they probably carry a million dollars
0: It's true. (laughs) Well, again, guys, if you enjoyed this episode in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe. If you prefer your uh, interviews in audio-only format, we got you covered. Just look up Rome of the Miss Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. I want to thank CJ again. It's been an absolute blast and honor, and I will definitely ask you back on again. Maybe we'll have my wife sit next to me so you can really give her the the business. (laughs) Thank you for the invite, Chris. Absolutely. And guys, I will catch you on the next breaking the fourth wall. Have a good night.